welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Uh, all right. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Filament Games Podcast. This is episode two of season four. I am your host, Brandon Pitzer, the marketing guy at Filament Games, and with me is my co-host. I'm Dan Norton, uh, the game design guy. So today, uh, we've got a very exciting guest in-house. Um, technically speaking, we're all remote, but you know, in, in the psychic space that we're all occupying right now. The metaverse. Um, we're in a metaverse. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That really, that really came and went from the news cycle, didn't it? Like that was like three weeks of like the metaverse, and then it's uh, never yeah. mind. That's why I like bringing it back so hard right now. It's the optimal <laughs> worst time to use the term. Yeah, it's like a retro twenty twenty two joke. Yeah, um, exactly. Oh, Jennifer. Yeah. Don't worry, <laughs> it'll come back up again later. <laughs> oh, all right, okay, here we go. Um, so we're <laughs> we're getting into the cow cinematic universe as well. Um, so yeah, uh, with us, uh, as you just heard, um, is Jennifer Van Oss. Uh, she is an assistant professor and extension specialist in animal welfare, welfare on the uh, faculty of the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, she received her PhD in interdisciplinary animal behavior uh, graduate program at the University of California, Davis, and conducted her postdoctoral research in the animal welfare program at the University of British Columbia. So kind of taking a tour of, <laughs> of all these different animal programs. Um, the research in her lab at UW-Madison focuses on understanding and evaluating and improving the welfare of dairy animals, uh, both from biological and from social science perspectives. And and the overarching goal of her program is uh, to promote best practices in management and housing to help the dairy industry adapt as our scientific knowledge about animal welfare continues to grow. Um, so, you know, to that end, uh, the project that we're working on with Jennifer is moving cows. Uh, this is a 3D isometric mobile game where the player takes on the role of a cow mover operating in various scenarios throughout a dairy farm. And uh, through this experience, uh, the user is going to form an understanding of how to best interact with cattle to maintain milk yield, uh, reduce the cow's stress levels, um, you know, basically create these humane practices around animal husbandry, um, improve decision making by regulating uh, frustration levels and their actions towards cows. Um, so there you have it. We're very excited to be working on this. Obviously, since we're a Wisconsin game developer, a simple country game design company, as Dan Norton would say. Um, is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is near and dear to our hearts. So we're very excited to be working on this. Uh, so Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I uh, want to talk a little bit uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of the actual game project um, about your background. So how uh, did you get into animal and dairy sciences in the first place? So I did not grow up with an ag background. I grew up in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, so I at least had seen cows and had some exposure. My parents were professors at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, which is why we were there, but they were in the geology department. But I basically emerged from the womb with a fascination with horses for whatever reason. I used to draw pictures of them. I wanted to ride them. Didn't really get the opportunity to. But um, so I did get some research experience as a high schooler. Biology and the natural sciences had always fascinated me. And I ended up 
going to Harvard University as an undergraduate and deciding to major in psychology. And I got involved more with research there, did an undergrad honors thesis that was eventually published, but decided not to go to grad school at that time. Having parents who were college professors, I kind of had a window into what that career and lifestyle entailed. And so I knew you shouldn't undertake grad school lightly if you're not fully committed to the topic because it mm -hmm. is a grind. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I didn't I didn't go to grad school in psychology. I decided to just work in the business world for a while. So I moved to Los Angeles. I lived there for six years, worked for two different companies, got a variety of work experience with both uh, people skills and some analytical skills and got interested in this concept of sustainable ag. I wasn't really sure what that meant, but as a young person, living on my own for the first time, purchasing groceries, making these spending decisions, I wanted to be a conscientious consumer and spend wisely in alignment with my values. And I wasn't sure where to get information. I wasn't really big on social media at that time. I think I'm even less so now. But I was reading books, uh, watching documentaries, getting involved in community groups. And I think that it made sense I was doing that, but it wasn't a balanced an accurate portrayal of what was going on in ag. So I think the idea of sustainable ag is critical. It's so important, but those weren't necessarily evidence-based sources. <laughs> but around that time, so this was 2008, there were three things that happened. One was I had my quarter life crisis, literally, I was 25. And two other things, two other things happened that year. And one was there was this big scandal where in Southern California, you know, I lived in L.A., there was these news headlines because an undercover video had been filmed at a beef packing plant where mm. some cattle had arrived, were not moved appropriately. There was this expose video. It hit the news. And I read that, became very concerned and thought, hmm, I hope that's a one off. But that was sort of in my mind. And then 2008 was an election year. And California is one of the states in the U.S. that has ballot propositions. So in addition to voting for your legislators who pass laws, voters get the chance to pass potential laws directly as well for issues that are put on the ballot. So there was this landmark one called Prop 2, and I was a voter for Prop 2, try to do my homework, read up on it. It was about creating rules around farm animal housing for hens who lay eggs, pregnant sows, and veal calves. And it really got my attention because it made it seem as though there was a systemic problem in animal ag. And I thought, well, what is going on here? Do we need more regulation? How do we know how chickens ought to be housed? Is there a way to apply science to this? I had never heard of animal welfare science. I actually hadn't even heard the term animal welfare before. I think mm -hmm. it's entering the public consciousness more now because in 2010, which is the year I started grad school, Dr. Temple Grandin, she's a professor at Colorado State University, and she's the most widely known animal welfare scientist in the world. So HBO made a movie about her life starring Claire Danes. I think it won an Oscar. Oh, okay. and, and Dr. Grandin also made Time's most 100 most influential person people in the world that year. So I had somehow heard of her and read some of her books I got from the public library and thought, okay, so there is a way to use scientific research to try to answer questions about how we 
raise animals in a responsible manner. And so I started applying to graduate programs under a variety of topics in sustainable ag, but all relating to animals in some way. So one was in crops and soil science, but would have looked at how beef cattle can be used to you know, regenerate the soils. Another was um, how you can use sheep to control invasive species. And then the program that I ended up choosing was about dairy cattle welfare. And I got so lucky that this professor, Cassandra Tucker, took a chance on me. I learned about agriculture. I took these classes. I started doing research with dairy cattle, and I just fell in love. Cows, I think people have this popular image of cows as being these gentle, docile giants, maybe not so smart, but actually cows are incredibly curious animals. They're so inquisitive, and they're so much fun to work with. So that's how I got kind of set on my particular career path. And I, I found my life's work. So that's what got me through UC Davis to Canada and now here to Wisconsin, which is, of course, America's dairy land. And it's the best place to do what I do. So it's a dream job. You know, that's and it's really interesting because your story is filled with moments where, um, you know, an educational form of media uh, prompted you down sort of an investigative path, um, mm. which is really cool um, because that's what we're doing now. Right. So, um you know, my, my, my next question that kind of leads from that is, um, you know, why, why games? What made you think of um, a game-based delivery of um, the topic that's covered by Moving Cows? Yeah, so even before the game, I should say that my PhD was not in humane cow movement. <laughs> it's a skill that I had to learn to be able to do other research. So my research was on heat stress and how to use water judiciously to cool cows. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to do those studies, I had to be able to move cows into different scenarios and to handle them. So these principles are not new. The, the foundations of how cows perceive the world and how you can take advantage of their natural behaviors to move them without using force have been well established. And actually, Dr. Grandin is a big proponent of that. She has lots of diagrams that are used throughout the industry of how to understand the animal. But when I moved here to Wisconsin, I should say that in my job, I'm a college professor, but not in the traditional sense. So I don't teach undergrad courses. I do my teaching and learning in the field. So I work with dairy farmers and everybody who supports them, whether that's regional extension educators, the herd veterinarians, a lot of farms work with nutritionists or other types of consultants. Those are the people that I interact with. And so I translate the results of my research and that of other animal welfare scientists to make sure that what we learn is translated into best practices so that those practices are evidence-based. But I also say I do a lot of listening and learning. So coming into this role in 2018, I hadn't spent time in Wisconsin before. So I grew up in the Midwest, but my experience had been from elsewhere. And I wanted to really understand the Wisconsin dairy community. So I started going to industry events and visiting farms with colleagues. And I asked dairy owners, well, what, first of all, what do you think animal welfare is? <laughs> and we could have a lot of conversations based on that because there are some misconceptions around those words. Mm -hmm. But once we got to the meat of, okay, here's what I'm here to, to try to help with, I asked them, what are your challenges or priorities around animal welfare? And the most common request I got when I was new was, can you please come out to my farm and help my staff learn and practice to move cows appropriately and humanely? And that really surprised me because, again, these principles aren't new. And there are a lot of training materials out there, really well-produced videos, textbooks, diagrams, fact sheets. It's not new content, but something wasn't sticking and wasn't being translated into practice. So I kind of had this in the back of my mind for a while. 
And again, actually, it comes back to an undercover video scandal. <laughs> so at the end of 2018 or beginning of 2019, there was another undercover video expose from one of these animal rights organizations. And it wasn't focused on cow handling. Actually, there were some other practices, but there's always snippets of people using poor practices, making poor decisions. And I had an email conversation with a colleague and he had said, you know, a few years back when there were some really challenging practices, I wrote a set of standard operating procedures, SOPs, explaining how to properly do this. Maybe you can consider doing that around this other topic that was appearing in these videos. And I, I was sort of chewing on that and I thought, I wonder if we could give them a way to learn more interactively hmm. because there are already SOPs out there. And kind of a few things in my life that inspired me were in Christmas 2018, my husband got me a Google Daydream. That's the headset that contains your smartphone to give a sort of VR oh, yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. And so I had kind of that in my mind. And then the other thing is his dad is now retired, but he was a commercial airline pilot. And of course, pilots have to go to flight school. And when he was learning a new aircraft, they don't just put them behind the wheel of a new expensive aircraft with like many lives on board. <laughs> they have to go through the flight simulator and pass the course in the flight simulator before they go into a real plane and co-pilot. And so I emailed back this colleague and I said, okay, tell me if this is a really crazy or stupid idea, but couldn't we make a video game so people could practice proper cow handling? And he said, I actually think that that's brilliant. And so I reached out to my friend, Rabindra Rattan or Robbie Rattan. He was my husband's college roommate. So we've been friends for a couple decades and he's a professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Media and Information. So this is where I said the metaverse would come back up. So he was okay. interviewed by NPR's Marketplace maybe two or three weeks ago about the metaverse. And he actually uses it in the classroom and as a classroom. <laughs> so, oh, cool. so I reached out to him because he was the most knowledgeable person I knew in terms of educational video games. And I asked him, first of all, does this idea sound worthwhile? And second of all, who should I talk to? And I think that he had met Dan White at a conference. And he said, he kind of gave me the history of serious games at UW-Madison and sort of who's come and gone, but that's how he recommended you guys. So I spent 2019 shopping around, bouncing this idea. And I think I met with some of you in person at the end of 20, fall 2019. Mm. So I think that even though the idea of using a video game for a learning tool on cow handling was my idea, the request for something like this really came from dairy farmers themselves or recognizing the need for some kind of innovative tool. And I think that this is a really good example of how a lot of dairy farmers, I think really the majority, care deeply about animal welfare and making sure that the animals under their care are treated well. And this is something that I've encountered through my work as an extension specialist in dairy cow welfare and even beginning in grad school when I started taking agriculture classes for the first time and learning how much research has gone into dairy cattle production in the last few decades. It really opened my eyes. And I like to say it made me realize cows are black and white, but the issues aren't. And a lot of the information I had been getting before grad school from watching documentaries or reading books was very lopsided and often misleading. So even in some of these documentaries where they say they're citing scientific research, it's often cherry picked and they often use 
so-called evidence that's actually been debunked. So it made me realize I need to take things with a big grain of salt when they're not peer-reviewed and when the primary purpose is entertainment. (laughs) Uh, And so I try to look at things with a more nuanced lens now. And so I've really appreciated getting to know Wisconsin dairy farmers and work directly with them and understand their values and realize that most of them do care deeply about their animals and want them to experience a good life. So it's great to hear, you know, how um, how you kind of came across us uh, through through networking. Um, it's uh, just a fascinating story of um, kind of bouncing between all these brilliant minds who um, who all have like a little piece of the puzzle in terms of, you know, there's this need for greater knowledge about animal welfare, and then like there's there's some other folks involved who know the imp- the efficacy of, of a game-based delivery for topic areas like this. Um, so it's really cool that you kind of like networked all of that together into this project. Um, and so as I understand it, the project is backed uh, by the Research Forward Award, uh, which is a grant. So can you tell me a little bit about that grant program and um, kind of how we uh, how we decided to engage with that? Yeah. So once I got the idea at the beginning of 2019, I should also mention that I went to Finland that same month. And I already had this idea turning over in my mind. And I was there to present at a dairy meeting and work with some industry colleagues. And at this trade fair, there was a booth where John Deere had a tractor simulator. So it was like the physical body of a tractor with a seat and a couple monitors in front. And so it was as if you were driving the tractor. Um, But it was this virtual experience was very much like a flight simulator. And I thought, wow, okay, this is cool. There are definitely ag applications and this could be really neat. Um, And so I I started developing the idea, talking to more people on campus and off campus and building the team. So I should mention I had met a colleague in 2018 in the School of Pharmacy named Olafun Milola Abraham. And she has previous experience making serious games in the context of medications. So for example, safe medication use in kids. So I had met her through this UW program. And so I reconnected with her and she's now a collaborator on this project. We have a few other important collaborators too. And so it was just really neat to see how many different applications there were for serious games because I hadn't heard of this particular academic field before. I think it's so fascinating um, and that these principles can be applied regardless of the subject matter. So I had started applying for funding and we applied to what the old program was called UW 2020, but obviously at sunset because we're past 2020. And the idea was to provide seed funding for high impact, high risk, high reward, or potentially high impact projects. And so we applied unsuccessfully for that. We had first met with you and and Filament had provided us with just some very, very rough concept art free of charge. Um, But we got some really useful feedback from the reviewers that helped us refine our proposal. It gave us some extra time to ruminate on it. And so we embarked with you on a preliminary discovery and design project. And so our objective there was really solidify what are the learning objectives? What could this game look like? We mold over, should it be virtual reality? Should it be augmented reality? And we decided that for the first stab, it really needs to be widely accessible and translatable onto working dairy farms. So it can't be something that's Mm -hmm. available, but inaccessible like VR. It needs to just be touchscreen, mobile tablet interface, not, not AR for now. And that also allowed us to really 
settle on what should be in this first version of the game, because I don't think that we're going to be done. We want this to get bigger and better and apply to more and more situations. But what should the first proof of concept be so that we can show that this game is worthwhile, that people are learning something and that we can go get more funding. And we also got some beautiful concept art. (laughs) And and, um, so as part of that discovery and design project, I went out to two local farms here within an hour of Madison with Alan and Roma. And that was really fun. Roma brought her sketchbook and was drawing pictures in the barn. And so we were able to use this refined version of the proposal to apply to Research Forward, which was the version of UW 2020 after. (laughs) That one had sunset. And we were so thrilled. Um, In the summer 2021, I was actually on maternity leave. And I got this email saying, congratulations, here's half a million dollars. And that is a big deal because there's no overhead because it's internal funding. There's no right. overhead. When you get an external grant, say from USDA or NSF, more than 50% of the money that you apply for goes to the university for overhead to support yeah. the facilities and the staff and all that kind of stuff. So this was half a million dollars for us to just put towards making this game, testing it, getting feedback and preliminary proof of concept and efficacy. So we were just floored that we could finally see this come to fruition about two years after we um, got the idea. That's uh, that's amazing that it came together like that. Um, I want to uh, dial in on something that you had kind of mentioned earlier, which is like you want to, you know, for this proof of concept, you want to start with, uh, you know, probably what you would consider to be a basis, you know, or a foundational set of topics or uh, skills within this realm. Um, but what does the horizon look like? You know, what does it look like in terms of like as we continue to expand on it? Um, what can be added to you know just these the what we've got now, which is you know, moving cows around within a given environment, um, you know, what, what do you see as potential expansions for this experience? Yeah, we have a sort of long-term vision. I think kind of the sky is the limit. So in this first stab for the version that'll be released at the end of this year, we're really focusing on basic principles. So how do you get cows to do what you want them to do without using force in their basic, what we call home pens, where the cows live, where they eat, where they sleep, and also in the milking parlor where they go to be milked, you know, two or three times a day on a specific typical farm. And we really wanted to keep it simple because this is the proof of concept and we wanted to just start small, but do it really well. So execute it really well instead of stretching ourselves too thin. And we're really focusing on the audience of people who would use this for on the job learning. So people who work on dairy farms as say milkers, but we also see the potential for this to be really useful for say veterinary students or undergraduate animal science or dairy science students, researchers on campus who, like me in grad school, had no previous cow experience, need to learn how to move cows to do their research. There could be a lot of different audiences for this, but there's also more and more challenging topics that people face on the job that we could integrate. For example, how do you load cows on and off of a trailer? How do you get them to go into what's called a shoot, C-H-U-T? It's a It's a restraint device to keep animals and people safe when you're doing, say, veterinary checks or hoof trims. How do you handle those kinds of situations or emergency situations, which are rare but do happen? Like a cow slips and has trouble getting up. What is the right way to handle that situation, especially if she's in a cramped or inaccessible space like the milking parlor? So there's so much potential. And we also think... There's a strong need for different age classes. So dairy calves, I get a lot of questions and there's not as many resources on how to properly handle young calves compared to adult cows. Or we could translate this to beef cattle or sheep or goats. I think there's so much potential once we establish this proof of concept. 
Sure. Boy, there's, uh, as, as you say it, it's like, yeah, there's just uh, an infinite amount of complexities to surface within these practices. Yeah. So and I, I think even, you know, it could be used to have people practice catching chickens in a poultry house, right? There's, there's so <laughs> many different untapped contexts that I think we're just breaking the surface of. We could get a, a greased pig DLC in there or something oh like that. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> I've done a little, a little bit of chicken grabbing in my time. I had backyard chickens for a while. That's true, you did. Yeah. My um, husband was house-sitting for a little while, and they had backyard chickens, but their coop wasn't very well designed. So the first step in their SOP was grab the plastic children children's rake so you can fend the chickens off. You can get into the house to... <laughs> To get the egg. <laughs> I, my chickens feared the rake as an angry god. I don't know why. I think I guess it's vaguely hawk shaped, maybe. Yeah, it looks like a big talon, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you, you take the rake out, the chickens are out of there. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. If you grab yeah. them with uh, uh, confidence, once once you once you're holding them, they're usually like, "Oh, we're good now." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just got to tuck them in there and then they're happy. It's the transition they don't like. Sure. <laughs> so um, so in terms of that next phase, um, you know, where are we at now? Kind of like what, what are we uh, what are we doing in development and design? Um, you know, what does the alpha work look like and um, the tutorialization that we're trying to set up with like surrounding materials? What's what's that process look like at the moment? Yeah, so filament kind of made an accommodation for me as a researcher because you guys usually have your specific stages of development. <laughs> um, but we took a pause so that we could align with my research goals because research forward, it is a research project. We don't want to just design the game. We want to test it. And right. as part of developing the game, we want to make sure that it's convincing to our end users. So believable, it represents scenarios that they would expect to encounter on the job, elements of the environment seem realistic to a Wisconsin dairy farm because there is so much diversity in the dairy industry. Not all farms look the same, but we want characteristics that are recognizable. So we are in the process of developing the alpha right now. And then we're going to take that out and bring it to a variety of stakeholders for testing. So the first group we're going to get feedback from is a set of trainers on campus. And this is actually really unique to UW-Madison. UC Davis didn't have this, but there's a group of people whose entire job is to train researchers in animal handling. So there's a group who work with dairy cattle, but they'll also train people like how to restrain a snake for a blood draw, that kind of thing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so their job is to essentially be the game and go out and show people how to do this hands-on. So (laughs) they're going to be the first ones to give us feedback and also allow us to refine the questions that we ask. And then we're doing separate groups with owners of local dairies and veterinarians and consultants and trainers. So again, people who train out in the industry, but instead of training researchers, they train milkers, for example. And then we're also going to work with milkers themselves. So people who have roles that are called milker or cow mover, actually in the industry, they often call them cow pushers. But I think that that implies the wrong action, (laughs) the wrong motivation, because you're not supposed to physically push the cows. It's just that they're fetching them Mm -hmm. from the cow's home pen to the parlor and back. So we call them cow movers, hence the name of the game, although the game is moving cows with two O's. I was I was contemplating whether I should like have Brandon go back and emphasize the double O. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I should have hit it way Moving harder. Cows. That's true. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> we we really want to get feedback from these different people to make the game believable and applicable. And so we'll incorporate that into the beta version before it's kind of too late to make substantial changes. So 
Um, I know normally there is a playtesting procedure between beta and gold, but at that point, we didn't want to have people give us feedback and then say, okay, sorry, <laughs> um, point taken, but we can't make changes. We didn't want to be so constrained. And so we're deliberately showing them a version that will be somewhat rough around the edges, but that will give us the ability to pivot in some meaningful ways within the parameters of the learning objectives that we've outlined, of course. That'll, that'll make it so they can, they can be more actionable about it. Sorry, Dan, you were going to say. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to ask Jennifer, like, I think one of the things that's interested me from a little bit of a distance on the project is so much of this is about how cows react to your proximity and then their relationship to where you are, where other cows are, where obstacles are. So how much has there been sort of interesting conversations where you and the team have tried to hash out like the cow artificial intelligence, I guess we'll call it. Uh, it's it's very challenging to try to convey it in a decision tree or explain it in words because in real life it's a bit of a dance to be honest because it's communication between you and the animal and even though the principles of their behaviors are pretty well known and pretty general there's always these nuances and so it is it's very hard to answer questions or explain oh no she should have turned that way or explain why huh the way she reacted was surprising. That doesn't seem quite realistic. It's it's so challenging. So we've shown some example videos of footage taken on real farms. Um, we've tried to explain it in words. I think that's one of the challenges of working virtually. I actually love working from home and love doing a lot of things virtually. I think it can be very efficient, mm -hmm. but not being able to be there and put the designers and the programmers through it in real life themselves. Yep, it's a bit I'm, challenging. And I think that was what was so lovely with going out with Alan and Aroma so they could see it. I think some light bulbs went off. That makes sense. I love the idea of, of just, I just picture Roma attempting to move a cow. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. that cow being indifferent. <laughs> yeah. And, and with cows, there is this principle, which we're taking advantage of. It's called the flight zone where, you know, cows are, um, prey animals. And so they want to stay away from things they perceive as a predator. I, I don't know if Roma is, looks like a predator per se, but you know, I, I think a lot of cows are wary of people, but when they become more used to being handled, they can be extremely friendly and that can also make them harder to move yeah. because then they don't have a flight zone. And so we're trying to incorporate aspects of this into the game. So we'll have cows who are more stubborn or have a smaller flight zone and, and don't respond as you expect. Um, but it doesn't matter how big or intimidating you are. Once you understand these principles, you can usually be pretty effective. And I think if you came to our research dairies or some of the local dairies, you can see there, there are people who look quite different who are very effective. Although as a side note, when I started at UC Davis and I didn't have experience, one of my most valuable undergraduate research assistants was a guy who was about seven feet tall with a great <laughs> deal of dairy experience. And all he had to do was point because <laughs> his wingspan was so big <laughs> that oh, he didn't dear. have to get very close to the cows and he'd just point and they'd go. It was, yeah. it was like magic. Okay. So we, we could really just design this game to just say, be big and then close yeah, it. Be really yeah. tall and then the yeah. cows will pay attention to you. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So um, it sounds like the next thing we're doing really is is like a testing phase. I'm curious uh, in terms of how we're bringing that together. Is that all through the UW? Yeah. Um, so it was part of the grant. So I'm working with Dominic Ledesma. He's one of my co-investigators here in the Division of Extension. So he directs the language access services, and he's also the chief diversity officer for Extension. So he's helping us facilitate the Spanish language 
focus groups. And then I'm also working with the UW Survey Center because they have a lot of experience conducting both quantitative survey work and focus groups. And so we're trying to be very rigorous about how we approach this data collection, because not only do we want to give filament feedback on what we're hearing from these end users, we want to be able to publish this so that we have full transparency about how we designed the game, why we changed what we did and, and how we made it suitable for our end users, because my mission is to do research and extension and make sure that I'm addressing stakeholders' needs. And so I think this process that we're doing right now is really important. And then after gold, I'm gonna do another round of testing with different workers from other dairy farms to collect data, preliminary data about efficacy. So before and after they play the game, we'll ask them a certain set of questions and see, does their knowledge improve? And of course, the best test would be to see if their behaviors and skills actually improve, but that will require another round of research funding. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'd, I had briefly just mentioned there, I, I, uh, I used to work at the survey center um, oh. <laughs> on their call forces. So, oh you know, God. shout out, shout out to Bob Craddock and James. Yes, Bob Post. is the one. That's so funny. Yeah, Bob is the one we were working with. <laughs> I met him in person for the first time on Wednesday. We've done everything by Zoom until now. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I once famously said at the survey center that every moment with Bob Craddock is a golden moment. So oh, uh, I'll tell him you say hi. Yeah, and I was actually just in Sterling Hall right before this. Um, doing a career development program for high schoolers interested in STEM careers. So. He gives great introductory uh, presentations when the new surveys are rolled out. Well, <laughs> he, and that's you know, because he will be the one delivering the tutorial because excellent. Alpha does not have a tutorial. So when people play Beta and Gold, they will be taught how to move their character and how that affects the cow's movement. They'll learn some of these principles, but that is not in Alpha. And so I put together a PowerPoint slide deck with a little script and Bob will be explaining. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I was, I was but a faceless undergrad at that point. So he will have absolutely no recollection of me, but, uh, <laughs> but I certainly remember him. That's this is a full circle moment for me. Wow. That's that's awesome. Small world, right? It's a small world. <laughs> yeah, certainly is in Madison, Wisconsin. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> well, um, that's super cool. Um, I think, you know, in terms of uh, kind of what's next, I'm, I'm really excited to see how we can expand on like kind of the core experience that we've built here um, and, uh, you know, ultimately turn this into, you know, the, the smash hit animal handling MMO that, you know, takes over the commercial game space in the next 20 years, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, any like uh, parting thoughts in terms of just like what, what the future looks like for, for moving cows and, and where you want to see it go next? Um, so, so in our minds, it's not finished yet. This is the proof of concept. But what we envision is that this would be adopted across the U.S. dairy industry and potentially North America or even worldwide. So to provide some extra context in the U.S., actually in other places as well, but I'm just going to talk about the U.S., there is a set of industry-wide expectations, consistent expectations. So in the U.S., there's no national legislation saying, you know, you must house cows this way or you must use these practices. That's actually more common in Europe. And instead here, the industry has decided to proactively sort of self-regulate. So over a dozen years ago, a program was created called FARM, F-A-R-M, which stands for Farmers Assuring Responsible Management. Wow. And at the time, it was voluntary <laughs> producer self-education, much like 
BQA or beef quality assurance still is. It's a, it's an education program where producers can learn about these best practices based on scientific research. But it evolved due to this increasing need for farms to be able to show that they are following a consistent set of standards, that there is this minimum expectation in the industry. And that's true in other livestock sectors as well, but they have things that are different from farm. And over time, it's evolved so that now 99% of dairy farms in the U.S. participate through their milk co-ops or milk processors. And so there's this published set of expectations. It's publicly accessible. You can go onto the farm program website and see what these expectations are. And then at least once every three years or more, somebody from the co-op or processor or a private evaluator or auditor will go to every dairy farm that they work with and check to see if the farm is meeting those expectations. So they'll actually observe the animals, quantify some measures relating to animal welfare. They'll interview the owner or manager. They'll observe the practices, look at their written protocols. And as part of this, every three years, the program gets updated, which is why it's evolved. So I'm involved in the task force that's writing or updating the standards that will be changed in 2024. But in the version that came out in 2020, so that's called version 4.0, there's a new expectation now that everybody who has direct contact with an animal needs to document some form of annual continuing education in what's called stockmanship, which is this appropriate animal handling. So if you're a milker or if you're a herd health person or you're calf care staff, whatever, if you have direct contact with animals, you have to show that every year you've done something to keep up to date on proper animal handling. And that's very open-ended and that's deliberate because it's a new expectation. So you just have to document you did something. It could be, I checked in with my supervisor or I watched a video or I read an article, but we're hoping that we can show that moving cows is effective at improving knowledge, improving practices, improving animal welfare, because there is no other program out there that comes with that evidence. So again, there's these really well-produced videos, there are fact sheets, but I think that the results of those are unknown. So that's where we think moving cows is going to be different and that hopefully if we can demonstrate this proof of concept and make it bigger and better, that we can get this into the hands of every farm in the U.S. and be able to use it to fulfill this expectation because part of playing the game is at the end, you'll get a certificate of completion showing that you successfully went through the game and were able to move the cows effectively. So that's actually our long-term vision. I think that vision has a lot of promise because I think there's uh, extensive precedent for similar kinds of interventions that are used in continuing education situations like you're talking about. Um, you know, it, it, uh, licensed professionals, uh, particularly in, in medicine and, you know, even like social work are required to show these, these hourly quotas of, of, um, actual yeah. professional development being done every year. And so, um, that is actually a very viable and sustainable model for educational content, um, when it's aligned to, to basically what is an infinite need for learning. Um, yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, it's the same for veterinarians. They have to do a certain amount of CE hours yep. every year. And this way, like you said, it's sort of automated because we know, <laughs> we'll know whether or not they played the game. They can't just jump to the certificate. Yes. So it would be a way to document exactly what was done. And right. And it's, you can't just like put up a video and then alt tab and. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I think that's where the difference comes because some of these videos, again, the, the, the content is really, really good and they do have quiz questions and you can watch the videos and then pass the quiz and get a certificate that way. Mm -hmm. But the reason I think there's a need for moving cows is having worked with animal and dairy science students in the classroom, 
I show them PowerPoint slides or videos talking about the flight zone, how to move cows, they can answer quiz questions accurately about what is the flight zone? How does it work? But then when I put them in a barn with cows, I see the same common mistakes over and over that shows they don't understand. They don't know how to apply those skills. And that's why I think we need learning by doing. We need the game so they can actually practice. Yeah, uh, Norton, you were saying something about transfer. Yeah, as you say, uh, it's it's actually like your earliest example of like, you know, when we have someone who flies a plane, right, it would be unfathomable to give a pilot a license after they answered a 40 question multiple choice about how, <laughs> right? It's yeah. absolutely obvious that any opportunity for them to demonstrate the actual act of flying in a simulated way is not just critical for teaching, but also for assessing. And we do it for cars, right? Like I was going to say, in driver's ed, um, you know, there is the on-road portion. Is there any game that would simulate, like, practical driving, not, you know, crazy driving? <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. That actually is one of the funny things, right? Most games that are involved driving are about not the type of driving that would get you through a driver's test, but... Uh, yeah, this yeah. that's a very interesting topic that I um, I have some enthusiasm for. Uh, there, there actually is a pretty interesting spectrum of arcade to simulation, and then there's a big middle ground of what you would call like simcade for driving games. Um, but I actually the only the only thing I can think of for actual like driver's ed skill sets is if you play on like a role play based Grand Theft Auto server, they have actual police enforcing traffic laws, so you will be pulled over for speeding and, <laughs> and yeah, running yeah, yeah. around. Okay. And everything um and so I, you know but again that's basically just a simulation that is populated by human actors so it's not quite a simulation either right um but that to me is like the only thing i can think of offhand where actual like traffic uh-huh. enforcement is a thing maybe the trucking simulators too actually handle that yeah i huh. actually when i was in high school there was a, a driving simulator in my driver's ed class uh there was a film that was played on a television and we all sat at these little, had these little steering wheel hardware devices. And we all had to turn the wheels based on the timing of the video oh. and hit the brakes. And it was really corny and ancient when we did it. But I mean, I still well, It's remember. probably good that you did. Isn't that what people now do for fun, right? Where you can like bike with your friends in the Alps or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the whole Peloton thing, I think. Um, but uh yeah, I do actually want one of those one of those wheels and pedals set up. It's not going to lie. Yeah, um, there was a, actually, a um, when I was taking horseback riding lessons as an adult because I never got to as a kid, even though I was obsessed. We yeah. had a horse that I guess if it was raining, they could like put you on. It definitely wasn't the same. But um, now I have I have a daughter. She's one years old. My husband and I always joke we should tell her horses horses and unicorns aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right. Well. Um, that's all really interesting stuff. I mean, um, what a cool project and um, what a unique application of game-based learning principles that actually is, I mean, desperately needed in the world. I think this this has a huge impact on just the sustainability of agriculture and the sustainability of agriculture has an impact on whether people get to eat um, and whether our, our planet remains habitable. Um, so um, it's it's super excited, exciting to be uh, working on this with you, Jennifer. Um, and uh, uh, we, I can't wait to see how this uh, how this shapes up. Um, yeah, here. Is there anything else that uh, you would have wanted to talk about today or anything else we should have covered? 
I'm glad you asked. I mentioned one of my important collaborators, Dr. Abraham here at UW-Madison, but this really is a team effort. And I wanted to give a shout out to my other amazing collaborators. So that includes Dr. Nigel Cook from the UW Vet School, who's been really instrumental with his vast years of experience on working farms in Wisconsin and being able to make sure the game is believable, as well as Dominic Ledesma from UW-Madison Division of Extension to make sure that the game is both linguistically appropriate and culturally relevant to players with diverse backgrounds, as well as Dr. Marcus Brower from UW-Madison's Department of Psychology, who has expertise in human behavioral change to make sure that this game really is effective as a learning tool. And lastly, Dr. Kurt Vogel from UW-River Falls, who I originally communicated with about this idea and also has a lot of experience with animal welfare and cattle industry. So I wanted to thank all of them because this game is a multidisciplinary team effort. So um, to close out today's podcast, um, we're going to go uh, dig into our our crate of game design rarities where we talk about a game that's weird or unusual, or maybe you haven't heard of it, um, and or maybe it just offers a unique take on game design, or maybe it's just kind of, you know, obliquely... <laughs> obliquely relevant to the topic that we talked about on the podcast. <laughs> I wonder um, what you're getting at, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, with that, I'll have Dan uh, kick it off. Sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, today we're talking about uh, an interesting commentary. I maybe we'll call it an anti-game uh, called Cow Clicker. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how many people out there will know Cow Clicker in our audience. I think I think it was an interesting oddity and it provided commentary and games. So there's probably a pretty good overlap. But uh, let's see. Let me grab Yield Wikipedia so I get my dates right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Cow Clicker was a Facebook game that was released around 2010, and it was created by Ian Bogost, who's a video game researcher and developer and uh, game commentary person. Um, and it was made very much at the time as a response to what we might call the scourge of Zynga at the time, where Farmville and similar games that were super low on gameplay and actual meaningful play decisions and were really high on, you know, lizard brain feedback reward systems and simple social structure glue, like a dopamine cultivation yeah, yeah. <laughs> things that things that grew out of and then back into kind of like the casino mentality for how to make a game engaging can you get the lights to spin can you get someone to feel like do it one more time etc cetera, etc cetera. and that at that point was spreading like a like some new disease like unleashed on an island population except this island population was you know middle-aged and elderly people on facebook uh who just had not been aware of this round of gamification reward structure stuff. Um, so Cal Clicker was built sort of as, yeah, as a commentary on that type of game that was very much the thing at the time. So in Cal Clicker, uh, as the name implies, you had a cow that was on the screen um, and you could click it. Uh, you could click it every six hours. Um, and that slowly accrued a currency. Now, if you wanted, you could pay the money to the get that currency, I believe, or accelerate how often you were able to click that cow. 
Um, I have pretty much described the entirety of the mechanics when this game. <laughs> I was so. not aware that there's a six hour cooldown. That's uh, yeah. that's intense. Yeah. So um, what's funny is that though, even though this game was clearly made as like a look at how empty and meaningless this experience is, uh, people really got into the irony of it, and it caught on. Um, so Ian started expanding the structures. So uh there the 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 currency started getting used for more things at a certain point uh i think i i'm just guessing at this point i think ian started feeling like wait i can't tell whether am i the am i the parody or have i become <laughs> the thing so started guiding towards like uh cleaning the game up so he set up a a, a timer that he said would lead to the cowpocalypse uh <laughs> And this cow apocalypse was something that uh, you could either, uh, I believe you could either donate money to accelerate or postpone the, whatever the cow apocalypse was going to be. Um, and eventually cow apocalypse happened. And what happened is that all the cows in the game were quote unquote raptured. So now rather than a, a field with a cow in it that you clicked on, you just had a field that you clicked on. Uh, and the game still persisted past that. There were still players, uh, so it's still not even over. Um, actually, I didn't know this until I you know, did a little digging of uh, just this fun quote where at the end of the Cowpocalypse, uh, at least one fan said, this game is no longer fun. And Ian <laughs> directly responded saying, it wasn't very fun before. Uh, so uh so anyway it was an interesting game that i think did a good job actually highlighting what was kind of a low point for what the what the value of play can be so i really i commend it for uh kind of doing a really good job of being a meaningful parody that had an impact i'm also and, cracking up I'm, I'm reading here there's that they also uh relevant to our world made a spinoff uh my first cow clicker for ios Oh, my God. A yeah. parody of simplistic educational apps decided to, designed to train children on cow clicking. And then, <laughs> and then the clicks oh, go no. to their parents' total, which is hilarious. Because so, yeah. I, I know a lot of parent gamers who, uh, you know, sometimes maybe the kids are used for a little bit of grinding. Um, oh, my gosh. Outsource <laughs> it to your kids. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this gameplay is boring, but a kid doesn't know. Um, but, oh, boy, that's funny. Well, Would yeah, you like uh, to hear a dad joke? Please, yeah. Yes. So why did the heifer win an award? I don't know. Why did the heifer because win? Because she was outstanding in her field. <laughs> Perfect. Oh man, unless she gets raptured, you know. And then yeah. that's what it made me think of actually. Nobody was outstanding in the field. <laughs> and then it's not so fun. Yeah, so that that reminded me and also the title of this episode, right? Game-based learning and cows, it makes it sound like the cows are the ones doing the learning. But I think also when you first told me about cow clicker, um, Brandon, you might've mentioned BF Skinner and operant conditioning, Yes, which is this principle that people use to train their dogs or cats. And it, it builds on this idea that, you know, they'll work to get this reward, which I think is what cow clicker was doing. But I wanted to share with you a little tidbit that cows actually do play video games. I thought of this research example, that was done at UBC where I got my postdoc. So I'm not the one who did the study, but I share the video from this experiment a lot because 
farmers and other people in the industry love to see this, but they trained calves, so baby cows, to make an association between different color different colors on a computer monitor. So say if they saw, they had to press a button to activate the monitor. And if some of the calves saw a red screen, they knew they could go get a reward. They'd get like a little bit of milk. And if they saw a white screen, not only would they not get any milk if they tried to, they'd have to time out. So kind of like this timer and cow clicker, they wouldn't be allowed to click (laughs) to get get another chance to play again for a while. Um, And then the other calves, it was balanced. So other calves learned that white meant they got the reward and red meant they didn't. And it was astounding. I, I could show you a graph sometime of the results. The calves were able to learn this. I don't know if I'd be able to learn that, but they were able to make an association and play this game. And what they were doing was using this to establish this baseline. Like, could they learn the rules? But then they switched the rules on the calves. So, so it yes. became opposite day. And the calves had to do what's called reversal learning and figure out what I was doing before isn't working and I need to try something different. And so that was the point of the study. And it was really, really neat to see the results, whether or not they could catch on. But in terms of game-based learning and cows, it does happen in that direction, maybe not with the same objective. So cow clicker for people, depressing. Cow clicker for calves, maybe cool. (laughs) (laughs) So in the future, we will be hired by cows uh, (laughs) to make games about moving people around, presumably. Um, That sounds like a far side. (laughs) It does. You're right. That does sound like a far side strip. Um, all right. Well, um, this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, like I said, I cannot wait to see uh, the the form that this this takes as we continue to develop it, um, how far we can expand it, um, and and yeah, like a super bright future where this this kind of intervention can be used, um, you know, across the industry to improve practices and improve mindsets um, and and improve the lives of the animals. Um, so this is all really exciting and. Um, uh, it just it fills my heart to know that we're doing work like this. Um, it's the kind of work that filament wants to do, right? So yeah, me too. I'm so excited as well. I actually have a list of about a dozen potential collaborators, so other professors in the U.S. and Canada who are looking forward to helping us test it with their stakeholders or their students and expand on ideas for the future version. So I hope we get that opportunity. Fabulous. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, You're so insightful and uh, have so much knowledge. It's been really, really cool uh, to hear uh, from you about this stuff. Um, So yeah, uh, that that rounds off today's podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, filamentgames.com.